From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Do Democrats have a ruthlessness problem? A prominent Democratic candidate has suggested as much, but it's not a path the chair of the state party wants to go down, even as Democrats face headwinds. Ruthlessness doesn't help anybody. It just means that we've got two main political parties that would be devolving into cruelty. Morgan Carroll joins us as the field of candidates narrows for this year's midterms. Then TikToker Nelson Holland of Aurora fights racism and sizeism in the outdoors. I have met some really cool people on trail that have pushed me to go further when I wasn't sure if I could do it. But in actuality, my on-trail experience is um, not as welcoming as I would like it to be. His account is called Fat, Black, and Getting It, and we'll take a hike. I'm Claire from Castle Rock. I'm from Longmont, Colorado. I'm from Fruta. From Wheat Ridge. From Sedalia. Genesee. Kiowa. My wife and I live in Boulder. In Grand Junction. Carbondale. Frankstown. Windsor, Colorado. Hi, this is Amanda in Loveland, and I support Colorado Public Radio because it is just that. It's publicly funded by the people who listen to it, and I think that should be very valued in our society today. It's easy to donate at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. The lowercase d democratic process is unfolding as the field of candidates narrows before the midterms this fall. But let's check in on the capital D democratic process with Morgan Carroll, chair of the state Democratic Party. A note that we heard from her Republican counterpart last month. Morgan, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Midterm election years are almost always an uphill battle for the party in power, uh, which in this case is yours, true at both the state and U.S. capitals. A composite of polls shows 53 percent of Americans disapprove now of President Joe Biden. Are you worried in this environment? Worried, no. But working hard, yes. In Colorado, the president and Democrats are actually still doing quite well. But what, I, do you, what do you point to to say that? Are you seeing polls? I am. And I'm seeing approval ratings in the state that still show a decent margin of positive approval for Democrats. Bucking the national trend, you're but saying. We're above the national trend. But I do think that there's something we learn from these polls. And I actually don't think it's as much about Democratic popularity or Republican popularity as much as it is voters are still struggling. What I see in that is... People don't think we've done everything that we need to do for them yet. So obviously, we've accomplished a lot of what we said we were going to do. Things are getting better, maybe not faster enough. Things can still get better. They can still get worse. So I think we're smart to approach midterms, understanding that people are still struggling. They're less interested in political parties and more interested in what we're going to do for their bottom line, for their kids, for their lives. There are, of course, people who are diehards in the political parties either way. But I just, you know, this midterm or any other, if we're not speaking the language of what is important to voters, then we're missing the mark. What's an example of a struggle that voters have, that Americans have, that you think Democrats ought to be addressing? I think we have to understand that underneath issues of whether you can pay your bills, whether you can afford to, you know, have a place to live, whether your kids can go to school— Mental health challenges are on the right. Anyone who's trying to parent 
in this whole period of a pandemic has had a lot of extra stress on themselves and their kids, anyone who's tried to teach. But we understand that beyond the issues that people are facing, that anxiety and depression and stress, like our country is just still very stressed out. And that means it's cumulative. It doesn't go away overnight with one issue, whether it's been people affected by the pandemic, whether it's people who've had to telecommute from home, whether it's people who've tried to figure out how to homeschool their kids. An election doesn't change all that overnight. And so... And so isn't that kind of the recipe for an enthusiasm gap? I mean, people are distracted. People are dealing with unprecedented hardships. And as you say, that may not be able to change in one election. Why turn out to vote? Are you facing that as Democrats? I think we do need to give people a reason to vote and understand that their vote will decide whether things continue to get better or lest we assume that it can't get worse, it can. And we do need to draw a direct line between decisions at the polls, what policies are made, how they're implemented, and what is going to happen in their everyday life. Well, give me an example of what Democrats would do to bring down the cost of living if they're allowed to maintain power. So one good example is when Democrats got the trifecta at the state legislature. They, that means that they have the state house, the state senate, and the governor's mansion. Exactly. And what they did is they closed corporate tax loopholes and created the first ever affordable housing fund. We have seen, for example, on affordability in rural parts of the state in particular, broadband is absolutely essential for health care, for having a job, and for being able to have educational options. That was part of Biden's package, the bipartisan infrastructure package, meant an investment in broadband. And we did the same thing at the state level. That affects your pocketbook in terms of what your job choices are. The affordable housing fund. We have literally looked at grant programs partnering with local governments for getting affordable housing brought up. These were all under Democratic leadership. These were new. And this is the kind of thing that will end and not be funded and really, when we saw Republicans in control, there was nothing done here. It was everybody's on your own. And if you can't afford it, it's too bad. There's a Democrat named Alex Walker who's running to unseat the incumbent and provocateur Lauren Boebert in the 3rd Congressional District, which includes Grand Junction and Pueblo. Walker has made a splash on social media. I'd like to play a snippet of an Instagram video he posted in March. I believe that if Democrats played half as smart and half as shameless as Republicans, we would never lose another election again. Did you know that 71% of Americans agree with Democratic policies? Probably not, because we lose most of the elections we run in. Democrats don't have a messaging problem. We have a ruthlessness problem. I loved Michelle Obama's quote, when they go low, we go high. But let's not forget, America burned three months later. When they go low, I'll be waiting with the chainsaw. Do Democrats have a ruthlessness problem? I don't think so. I really fear when I've seen the right wing of this country lose empathy and value cruelty and ruthlessness. It's changed our culture, and it's actually embraced violent speech and violent concepts. I do think there's a way to be forceful about who we are and what we stand for and getting it out. Ruthlessness doesn't help anybody. It just means that we've got two main political parties that would be devolving into cruelty. And cruelty is not part of our platform. Where could Democrats be? What was your word? 
more forceful? I, I was starting to say earlier on what we have accomplished and what's at stake. So let me give you an example of being more forceful. I don't think we have two mainstream political parties in the United States of America anymore. I believe the leadership of the Republican Party has been hijacked by a militia wing that is acting more like a cult than a political party. That is forceful. But I also think I can back it up. I'm not interested in calling names. I'm interested in democracy. And what we're seeing is a trend of an embrace by a major political party in this country, an embrace of conspiracy theories, an embrace of hate speech, an embrace of name-calling and tearing each other down and belittling and demeaning and bullying as part of an actual platform for a political party. It sounds to me like you've had to make a transition as chair of the state Democratic Party from seeing the Republicans as an equal and worthy opponent to something else. Is that what I'm hearing? You are hearing that because I, the party that I see now has embraced corruption, violent speech, violent behavior, and has, frankly, been dangerous. It has led to an increase in terms of death threats against elected officials, elections officials. Even the chair of the Republican Party was part of a militia organization that called for summary execution of people who disagree with them. I'll say, so that's FEC United, uh, from which Christy Burton Brown has uh, cut ties. That's uh, right, but that's not normal. And my concern is, is just because it becomes common and persistent over time that we think that this is somehow normal. It's not normal. And so you are very correct to say that I no longer see myself as dealing with two political parties with slightly different uh, philosophies or beliefs about how to best govern. And this is now, if you watched any of the Republican primaries or assemblies, any of the mainstream Republicans that are not embracing conspiracy theories and not embracing a more violent speech and call to arms are losing or they are only getting on the ballot through petitions. Well, and isn't that the fundamental question? Republicans are winning. And not in Colorado, um, but they, you know, Colorado is a mixed state. They are winning in parts of the country. And even as we hold here, I fear for people in the parts of our country who, whose lives and personhood are in danger based on Republicans in control who are aggressively undermining people's freedoms and their rights. In Colorado, we're in a better position. And if we hold in the midterm elections, people have a choice. We can still be that beacon for good elections, for personal freedoms and liberties. But there are real pockets. If we want to know what happens when Republicans get in charge, we don't have to speculate. We have spent some time in Colorado's new 8th Congressional District, which uh, sort of latches onto I-25, extending from Thornton in the south, Brighton, up to Berthoud, Greeley, uh, and this is portions of Adams, Larimer, and Weld counties. It was drawn to be highly competitive. How do Democrats win there? The 8th Congressional is very competitive. And we win because we are better for working people and for working families. This district is a good cross-section of what a lot of families in Colorado are facing. And so whether we do economic and tax policies that are about every Coloradan or for billionaires is going to matter in this district. Whether we fully fund our schools, which Democrats support, is going to really directly affect life and opportunity for people in this district. Um, I it, imagine that Republicans support 
funding schools, though they think there ought to be more options than Democrats would would say for public money. What I've seen is that when it comes to votes, that's not necessarily true. It's voting against budgets that fund schools. Well, that's not voting to fund schools. When they want to privatize or introduce vouchers away from public schools into private parochial schools, that's not fully funding public schools. Every time we've had a budget where there's an opportunity to fund public education in the state or even a ballot measure that might fund public education in this state, the practice has essentially been to oppose it. So while it may be a talking point for Republicans to fund schools, the practice and the reality has actually been quite the opposite. So I hear you saying that the education message will resonate throughout the 8th, which is a real mix of suburban and rural. CD8 is also the district in Colorado with the largest population of Latinos, nearly 40 percent. We heard this week from an organizer who fought for that level of representation. And I want to play a somewhat searing commentary from Michael Cortez of Claro, the Colorado Latino Leadership Advocacy and Research Organization. Traditionally, Latinos are assumed to be mostly Democratic, but the Democratic Party does not invest heavily at all in trying to get voter registration drives targeting Latinos. They wait until the election is too close and then spend too little money trying to register people. They treat other Democrats much better. Uh, we are just not enough of a priority for either of our political parties. What do you think? Well, I do think that the eighth is historic and that it's the first time we saw a Latino influence district really come out of redistricting. We started focusing on prioritizing Latino voter registration and Latino voters over a year ago and really have never stopped. And he's right that there's more to do. And we may never have as much money as the Republican Party, but we are organizing voter registration across 64 different counties and specifically focusing on Latino voter registration in the 8th because he's right. The level of engagement and participation of our Latino voters in that state will decide the outcome for that district. It will decide the outcome. Every vote there is going to matter. And while the Latino community there is no monolith by any stretch, that community has the power to decide the outcome, not only for the 8th Congressional District, but the CU Board of Regents in the 8th District and the State Board of Education in the district. And that could decide the majority of two critical education-related bodies in the state in addition to Congress. I'm hearing a theme emerge um, from you, also from voters we've spoken with, especially in the 8th. You know, the vast majority of registered voters in Colorado are unaffiliated. I've heard you talk about people not necessarily feeling um, strongly about one party or another. Are parties a dinosaur? Are you fighting against extinction to some extent? I think we have to adapt or die. And parties are necessary. We are leaders to help recruit and train candidates. If parties are not strong and recruiting and training good quality candidates that will do a good job representing people, then we have no infrastructure left in a free and fair democracy for where we actually recruit and build the talent pipeline. Is that where you see your role being strongest in Colorado is the pipeline? 
I think the pipeline is the first place I would say, but ultimately, I think we have an outreach role and an education role, that when people see government as an it or a them or something that doesn't affect their life, they are more likely to check out, and then elected officials actually get away with worse behavior, and they're less accountable. So quite the opposite of extinction. I see my role as part of making a democracy healthy and that we do have to learn that maybe our views as Democrats are in line with what most people in the state say. But fundamentally, we can never stop listening to where people are coming from and get so stuck in our own world, drinking our own Kool-Aid, that we get out of touch with where people are at. Uh, before we go, in the 7th Congressional District, longtime incumbent Ed Perlmutter is retiring, which means it's an open seat. Because of redistricting, the 7th is also now more competitive. We heard from the state Republican Party that there will be ample national money flowing into these races. Is that true on the Democratic side? We do think that nationally, Democrats will be targeting the 7th and the 8th as well. The majority of the United States House and whether there's any chance for this country to move forward on anything has everything to do with who winds up in the majority in those seats. Um, so the 8th and the 7th will be a priority nationally. And this will decide what the priorities for the country are going forward. The platform that we've seen come forward, if Republicans get the majority back at the local or national level, is basically tax breaks for billionaires, tax hikes on ordinary people, defunding public schools, and taking away people's individual rights freedoms and liberties. That's not a good platform. And they have shown that they are willing to act on it. It's interesting because when I talk to Republican leaders, what they say their platform is, is actually not that different in the end. Maybe the means differ, but in the ends from Democrats, it's education, it's bringing down crime, which, by the way, they lay to some extent at the feet of Democrats. It is uh, the cost of living. You have a message to differentiate, it seems to me, Morgan Carroll. <laughs> yes, I do, because the difference is between talking points and what they actually do. In fact, we just funded law enforcement at the national level. We've done record investments in mental health. When we were running legislation on red flag laws or background checks to keep firearms out of the hands of dangerous convicted felons, Republicans opposed every measure, essentially, that we have done to improve community safety. The bills we've done to address cost of living, to help basically people in the pocketbook, they have been no votes. So while their talking points might sound similar, because they are seeing similar polls, but instead they're focusing on bullying trans kids and criminalizing abortion that's what they're doing. They're trying to ban books. They're trying to politicize curriculum and tell teachers what they can and can't teach in the classroom. That's what they're doing. So the difference between what they're saying and what they're doing is profound. And when people are busy, they may not have time to see how big that gap is. Wasn't there bipartisan support of the fentanyl bill? There and that is actually still going. So I do think where there's room for bipartisan, we had a bipartisan infrastructure bill. There is bipartisan support for the fentanyl bill that is going through the state level. That leadership to negotiate and talk with Republicans and bring them on board is because of Democratic leadership. 
If you look at the bills that the Republicans are introducing, they are for talking points. They are for campaign mailers. They are not for governing. They don't actually address the problems they say that they are committed to fixing. Thank you so much for being with us, Morgan. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Morgan Carroll leads the Colorado Democratic Party. Hear and read our interview with her GOP counterpart at CPR.org. Six weeks after Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the discovery of bodies in the streets and mass graves in the city of Bucha is another grisly turn. Here's Irena Chechko, who lives in the city of Chernyakhiv, about 100 kilometers from the capital city of Kiev, speaking to friends in Colorado on a recent Zoom meeting. I read a lot of history, I mean, about World War II and World War One and so on. And I read about such cases, but I just could not imagine that could happen, you know, like 80 years after that. People are still so cruel. I was really shocked. I was like depressed and I couldn't do anything. I was just imagining that pain and that horror that those people felt, and especially those who watched all of that and they are alive. I I cannot absolutely imagine how stressed, how traumatic they are now and how they are going to leave. The weekly Zoom calls are hosted by former Peace Corps volunteer Andy Lenick of Broomfield, who lived in western Ukraine in 2017 and 2018. A while back, Lenick started hosting remote sessions so his Ukrainian contacts could practice their English and so he could brush up on his Ukrainian. When the war hit, the discussions took a turn. We checked back in this week to see how the group is faring. One of the regulars on the call is dentist Viktoria Bebkovich, who lives in the town of Truskovitz in western Ukraine. That region has been relatively safe so far, but the fear is ever-present, including for her five-year-old, Maxim. Maxim, he's more anxious. Uh, she, he uh, doesn't want to uh, be alone in the room. He always goes uh, with me. She says when Maxim watches cartoons from abroad, he often asks if those countries are helping Ukraine fight the war. By the way, he sat in with his mom for much of the Zoom call. Irena Chechko worries that Vladimir Putin's regime has engaged in so much propaganda that many Russians and their allies don't realize what's happening. Her mother-in-law lives in Ukraine and can't even persuade her relatives in Russia. After the war started, she tried to convince her relatives, her sisters. She was she just called them constantly just to tell about war that that was going on here in Ukraine, that about all those like bombings and rockets and tanks, all those things. And they did not believe their own sister. They did not believe her. Chechko evacuated to western Ukraine a few weeks back after a massive explosion at a fuel depot near her home, then returned to Chernyakhiv to reunite with her husband. Dr. Pavlo Kozenko, who works at a hospital near Truskovitz, believes more tragedies like Bucha will be discovered as the Russians withdraw from cities they were occupying. He says it will take more foreign help, air defense systems and fighter jets for Ukraine to prevail, and it will be a slog. If and when the Ukrainians win, he says, there still will be hard work. 
sometimes I'm thinking what is going, will be, will be going after this war ends. Because this war is an opportunity for Ukraine to get rid of Russian agents in our government. We have a lot of them there. Mm, this war is an opportunity for Ukraine to get rid of the influence of oligarchs. Corruption allows Russia to, to rule our country and to influence it heavily. Uh, so we need to focus, after the war, we need to focus heavily on reforming and, and reforming it like mercilessly, I would say. Ukrainian Voices on a Zoom call this week, hosted by former Peace Corps volunteer Andy Lenick of Broomfield. A tribute to Ukraine during the Grammy Awards featured three Ukrainian artists, including Denver musician Susanna Iglidon. Accompanied by a choir, they performed John Legend's new song, Free. For Iglidon, the performance was a seminal moment. Here's CPR's Matt Bloom. The tribute started with something many were clamoring for at recent award ceremonies. Our musicians wear body armor. Instead of tuxedo, they sing to the wounded in hospitals, even to those who can't hear them. But the music will break through anyway. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made a plea, not only to the rich and famous in the room, but to the audience. He pleaded for them to help in the war of information and outreach on social media. Feel the silence with your music, feel it today to tell our story. Then legend took the stage. Rain down freedom, rain down to we're all free. The camera zoomed out and sitting next to legend in a yellow dress was Iglidan playing the bandura. Free. The bandura is not only a traditional folk instrument, but in this case, a symbol of the war. Ukrainian bandura players were persecuted and executed by Stalin a hundred years ago, and the Russian czars before that. It has 61 strings, and you can hold it on your lap. Bandura, I always say, I play Ukrainian harp. That's Iglidan. She says she's still processing the wild ride. The response was just touching when everyone stood up, and there were so many people and everyone put their heart, you know, hands like on the heart, showing us, performers, <laughs> that they are with us. Iglidan came to Denver to study music in 2014. But since the start of the war, she says, her work has taken on a different meaning. All my family is in Ukraine. Everyone. All my friends are in Ukraine. I was calling my friends and I'm calling my friends. She felt helpless living in Denver, but realized she could draw attention to the conflict and its impacts in much the same way Zelensky had called for, through art and everyday people speaking up. A month ago, everything changed. Every performance, what I do right now in the United States, I dedicate to my home country, especially when I perform with Bandura, which is the heart of Ukrainian nation. Before Sunday, Iglidan had been performing at local demonstrations and fundraisers to help donate supplies to people still in Ukraine. When a producer at the Grammys called, she was floored. Obviously because of the size of the audience and John Legend and the glamour of the Grammys, but Iglidan was on stage with two other revered Ukrainians. Mika Newton, a singer, she was very famous. She was very, very famous um, in Ukraine and was surprised to see her. <laughs> then there was Liuba Yakimchuk. Our father, who art in heaven, of the full moon, and the hollow sun, 
the poet, she just flew from Ukraine, a victim of all this aggression, whatever happens in Ukraine. Now Iglidan's back in Denver resting from the spotlight for a few days and working on her next performance with one goal in mind. I hope through my art I can bring a beauty of Ukrainian culture, beauty of Ukrainian nation. I'm happy that I can touch hearts here in the United States. And Matt Bloom, CPR News. Go down, Moses, way down, Moses, go down to Egypt land. Lay down, soldiers, lay down those weapons, let peace rush in. Let it wash through the valley, soar to the mountains, fall in the deepest blue sea. Let it fly across the sky, a banner so high that even the rockets will see that there is a God. And I'm just saying, Lord, rain down freedom, rain down to we're all free. matters continue shortly. I'll meet a special guest on a hiking trail. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC. Hi, I'm Marnie Myers, and my husband and I donated his beloved PT Cruiser to Colorado Public Radio. We had a car sitting in our driveway for a number of years because we couldn't find the title. We finally sat in line, got the title. They took the car. It was easy. We chose to donate it for two reasons. One, we wanted the car out of our driveway, and two, we wanted to give it to a good cause. It is really easy to donate your car at CPR.org. Hiking Colorado's mountains wasn't really on Nelson Holland's bucket list. That is, until he decided to leave New York and come west. And his message, that the outdoors are for everyone, no matter your size or race or means, well, it resonates with his growing number of followers on TikTok. Nature, for Holland, is medicine. Stop scrolling and let's go check out some nature. Two flat tires in three weeks really can't catch a break. Luckily, they hooked it up for me. Still had to get my boots from REI. Whew, if ever there was a day for a mental health hike. It's crazy how just half an hour in the trees can just change your whole perspective. We asked Nelson Holland, who lives in Aurora, to hike with us and to share his journey. He has just launched a sort of guide service for people who want to be outdoorsier but are reluctant to get started. We connected on a trail still crunchy with ice and snow. Nelson, what's the name of your TikTok? Uh, Fat, Black, and Getting It. Fat, Black, and Getting It. Unpack those three concepts for me. Well, all my life I've been basically over 300 pounds, it feels like. Um... I'm definitely black, uh, identify as black and look that way. Everybody treats me that way. 
And uh, I really just want to represent for all the people that look like me to get out and hike. Because I never see people that look like me on trail. You never see that? Almost never. And when I do, you know, it's literally one out of 20, 50, 100. I mean, I almost never see anybody my size hiking on trail. But I also rarely see any black indigenous people of color out in these spaces either. The third part of your TikTok, getting it. What does getting it mean to you? I guess this is more personal. I never thought that I could do some of these things that I was doing. Um, Yeah, like I never thought that I would be able to hike a 14er at over 300 pounds. But um, I took this journey kind of one step at a time, just walking around lakes. And before I knew it, I was hiking up mountains. And yeah, before I knew it, I pushed that even further. So just want to show people that fat people can be out here getting it too. We're at Mount Falcon in Jefferson County. Why'd you choose this place for us to meet? Uh, it's not a it's not a hard one. This is like kind of a nice stroll with a beautiful view. And I often tell people from out of town that this is one of the first parks that they should acclimate at. Yeah, it's close to the metro. Easy drive. When you say that you don't see a lot of people your size or your color, what do you think that's about? Um, I think it's about a few things, but one of the uh, most potent reasons, I think, is just because they don't see people that look like them out there. Um, I know personally, I live in Aurora now, and a lot of my friends from Aurora, they're afraid of deer because they've never had a family member fish or camp or be in these spaces. Um, Historically, black people were excluded from spaces much like these. Um, And as for fat people, I mean, every time you see somebody hiking a 14er, it's, you know, somebody that weighs 180 pounds and has got Patagonia on and all the gear. And there's just nobody really representing for all the other people out there that also enjoy nature. So it's, in a way, it's a numbers game. Like, you've got to see enough of the folks who look like you to feel comfortable. And until you do, it just doesn't feel like your space. Do you think that's it? Um, yes and no. I feel like that's the case for most people. But for me, I I really just coming from New York, I had never seen anything as beautiful as this. And I just felt like I had to explore these spaces, whether they accepted me or not. You know, I know we're not back in in the 40s and I'm allowed to go to these places. So I gave it a try and I found out in a lot of cases, the places are friendly and uh, it's just been like a a life-changing experience for me. So now I feel like I need to share it with the world. What transformations have you noticed in your mind and your body as you've gotten into the mountains more? Um, Body, definitely. The the weight loss was not something that I expected, but it it came. Like I said, I was really just out here kind of for the the views and the journey. And then, yeah, my mental health got so much better and I got so much more stable and stronger. Um, I think... Part of that is just relaxing in nature, and also part of that is overcoming some of the challenges that I wasn't sure I could do. Mm. Do you feel like you're a little addicted to nature now? Like, once you get a hit of it like this, is it something you want more of? 
uh, 250%. I, I recently realized that I'm definitely addicted to nature. Um, I, I'd say it's just about the cleanest addiction you can have. But yeah, when I don't go out for a couple days even, call it three days, I, I start getting antsy and my mental state gets a little worse. And yeah, I just feel like taking these hikes always puts me at my best. Okay, a little earlier, you mentioned folks walking around in Patagonia. My first thought was, oh my God, Patagonia is so expensive. And it did make me think about what the economic barriers are, not just the social barriers, but the economic barriers, the gas that it took for you to drive out here. You know, do you think those things keep a more diverse crowd from coming into the great outdoors? I do. I definitely do, and gas is really bad right now, but from my perspective, I always wonder why more minorities don't come to these spaces, because other than gas, a lot of them are free. So, I mean, when I bring people from New York here, I'll often come here because it only costs me gas. They're going to see some beautiful views, maybe some wildlife, an awesome sunrise or sunset. We can bring some food out here. Um, so yes, transportation is another thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people live very far away from these places, but there are places you can take the bus to. Um, so yeah, I like to kind of show the side of uh, hiking where it's very inexpensive and anybody can do it. You said you bring your New York friends out. What are their experiences? Did, oh. you, say, did you say you thought someone was afraid of deer? I, I know for a fact that people are afraid of deer. It's uh, That one's funny to me, but... I mean, they're bigger than us. Eh, maybe not me, but <laughs> some of them. <laughs> Elk, definitely, and moose and all that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, just if, if you've never been from here, then if you've never seen anything like that, and you've seen some of the YouTube videos where somebody gets kicked by deer, yeah, I guess that's... You consider it as a threat. But, um, for example... I brought my dad to Waterton Canyon one day, and mm. uh, Waterton Canyon is south of Denver. Yeah, by uh, Littleton. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of bighorn sheep there. We got about 20 feet away from these bighorn sheep because they crossed right next to us while we were looking in a different area. And as soon as they finished crossing the river, my dad looked at me and he goes, "I finally get why you moved here." Had he been perplexed until then? Yeah. Um, my black friend specifically. Oh, we're at a crossroads. Where, which, left or right, Nelson? Uh, we got some options depending on how long you want to go. That's my favorite view that nobody knows about. Okay, up on that kind of rock mound? Yeah, we have to get up there for the pictures at least. But there's like kind of a, a nice walk to a shelter. No, let's get up to your favorite spot. Okay, if you if you guys are sure you're ready for it. I brought hiking boots. So did our audio engineer, Tyler Bender. Okay, so your dad had what, struggled with your move before then? Um, I think they just didn't understand why I would move across country. You know, I told them my reasons, but they, I think everybody thought that, you know, I would be here for a year and then go somewhere else or move back. But eight years later, I'm still here, and I think that's what they didn't understand. You can see it in pictures, but when it happens to you, it's different. We used to watch action movies, me and my dad. That's one of our things. And the way I describe wildlife is it's like the coolest, realest 
action movie you could ever see. You mentioned that people have been kind to you on the trails. What are things you notice? Um, so actually, and I guess we'll stop just for a second because I'm not great talking uphill. Okay. This is a little path, but um, so actually, I have met some really cool people on trail that have showed me some really cool spots that I didn't know about and um, pushed me to go further when I wasn't sure if I could do it. But in actuality, my on-trail experience is um, not as welcoming as I would like it to be. Often I don't get the friendly wave that everybody gets. And sometimes when I hike past older people further out west, um, they give me like really dirty looks. Um, makes me feel a little uncomfortable. But this online hiking community that I found with people that I can obviously then meet, they've been like crazy supportive. And actually what's kind of pushed me to do this because I realize there's a lot of other people that are like me and feel like me. Is that a safety in numbers kind of thing for you, do you think? Like I said, for me, I have this ability just to like run into my fear. So um, I'll go out there whether it's just me or whether it's a group. But yeah, I definitely feel a lot more comfortable sometimes when I have other people with me. And it's not necessarily always people that look like me. The hiking group that I'm in is um, a lot of white women, but... Yeah, even just being with them on trail makes me feel more comfortable. I know they feel the same way, but it's funny. Yeah, like having a bunch of mm. white women while I'm out in the wilderness does feel comforting. When you see people who give you stink eye, do you try to get into their minds and think, what was behind that, you know, unpleasant glance? I think most people that deal with issues like that would caution you to not try and get in that person's mind. I just assume that they're kind of from a, a different time and a different place in a different area than me. And, you know, there's just got to be more shared experiences before we can see eye to eye. But hopefully me doing this is something that helps break down those barriers. What has been your most watched TikTok? You are, you have a lot of followers. I have, a, I have a decent amount. Uh-huh. Do you remember what the latest number was? I think I might have put it in my... Hold on. Bring out my notes. Out of my fanny pack. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I think your last number, 87,000, Nelson. It sounds about right. Most liked video so far? Most liked, most liked. You know, I don't readily remember this. I know um, the Manitou Incline was something that kind of uh, got people to even notice me hiking up that. But I actually don't think that's my most liked video. Um, I like that you don't know what is. <laughs> I, I don't know. It kind of tells me your heart's in the right place. Like, you're on social media, but you don't sound obsessed with, like, the metrics of it. Yeah, no, I, I'm not going to lie. There was a time where I kind of did look at analytics and metrics a little more than I do now. But really, it's it's completely about the journey and the views for me. And I remember more of the hikes that I do than the views I get from the hike. I will say... When I go to a super beautiful place and I don't get a lot of views, I'm kind of like, oh, I wish I would have showed that to more people. Oh, because you want to share this. Yeah, it's. I just went to Buena Vista and a lot of people did kind of see that video. But yeah, like it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So I, I just want to share that with the world. On the Arkansas River. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. I know. Yeah. yeah, I love going up there. I guess in the pandemic too, eh? The outdoors become more important. Have you found that? Um, definitely for my following. For me, it's always been important. But yeah, everybody that's kind of came and 
found me, they found me because they were looking for something to do in the pandemic. Favorite comments or feedback you've gotten from followers? First, I get comments sometimes with people that are like stuck in the hospital and literally can't get outside. And they say that like, I'm there outside. They're living vicariously through you. Yeah. And that just like, you can see me right now kind of. Choke up. Yeah. Um, that, that feels like something special. Also, I get comments where I literally inspire people to go do any trail or sometimes a trail that I just did. Um, lately, I've been more focused on accessibility. So I'll try to show trails in real time that people can go on with wheelchairs or whatever issue they might have. Um, so, yeah, that that really makes me feel special. Because these folks tell you that they go on those trails afterwards. Right. And sometimes will even tag me in the video and it lights me up with joy. And recently... I won't give her name because I'm sure she won't want to be shouted out, but I was just on trail with a follower, now turned friend, that's in the hiking group. We did a hike in uh, Boulder Flatirons up to the uh, first Flatiron, the first and second Flatiron Trail. She's a beginner hiker, and she had no idea that she could do something like that. Um, I walked with her all the way, and we got it done, and I'll be thinking about that for probably the next few months. Okay, after a break, we'll resume our hike with Nelson Holland at Mount Falcon Park near Morrison. Holland's TikTok, Fat, Black, and Gettin' It, encourages people of all colors and sizes to get into nature. Holland lives in Aurora, and he'll tell us about a revelation he had while his father was visiting from New York. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Soaring high overhead, riding spirals of warm air, that broad-winged bird may be an eagle or a hawk, but if its wings are raised in a slight V-shape and it's sniffing out roadkill, it's definitely a turkey vulture. Named for its bald, featherless red head, the turkey vulture can soar for hours without flapping, using its unusually keen sense of smell to find its preferred food source miles away. Its eating habits might seem repulsive, but feasting on dead animals fills a useful role in the ecosystem and also gives the vulture a powerful form of self-defense. It can shoot a stream of semi-digested meat and acidic gastric juices as much as 10 feet. The turkey vulture will have moved south by the time winter comes, but the warmth of spring will carry it back to Colorado skies. That and the ever-turning circle of life. A Colorado postcard from Colorado Public Radio with support from Sheets and Giggles. The story today of a mind and body transformed. Nelson Holland of Aurora changed his life when he started hiking. He recently went skiing for the first time, and he shares his passion for the outdoors on social media, namely TikTok, where he goes by fat, black, and getting it. Holland and I went for a hike the other day at Mount Falcon Park in Jefferson County. We trudged up a hill and, out of breath, took in the vista. Okay, that was a climb. <laughs> Tell me what you are seeing and feeling. <sighs> Tired. Out of breath. Whew. But you can see Chatfield down there. You can see the entire Denver metro area. All the way down to Cherry Creek and DTC in the distance down there. Um, 
You can see Red Rocks. The back of Red Rocks over there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at all that snow on the peaks behind us. Oh, I'm not done yet. There's uh, Castle Ruins right there. You can hike to that from here. So yeah, those are most of the front range views that I look at. But then you come back here, then you got uh, Mount Evans. And I'm not great with those mountain peaks. Did you know what a 14er was before you moved here? I didn't. Uh, yeah, no, I, no idea. Like I said, I didn't even know. I knew, you know, Mount Everest. Um, and I knew there were Rocky Mountains, but I didn't know you could like hike them and what they meant. And I didn't know Mount Evans was the closest one in Denver. I didn't know any of that stuff. When you went hiking with your dad, did you guys talk about your childhood at all? Like nature, getting out, being in the city versus not. Did that ever come up? It did. Uh, me and my dad are like best friends, so we talk about everything all the time. But yeah, he actually reminded me that I was in uh, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. I didn't go too far with it, so I kind of tend to forget about it. But yeah, this seed was planted um, years ago. It's something that I got away from and forgot about. And yeah, Colorado exposed it in crazy ways. Well, social media is not the only way you want to spread the word about the outdoors and that they belong to everyone. Tell me about this company you've formed. So I just started my LLC, Getting It. Um, we're going to be doing guided hikes with Getting It. So if you're unfamiliar with the outdoors, or if you're a bigger person, if you're a minority that doesn't have any experience, come find me, hit me up on my social medias, and let's talk about getting you outdoors and showing you some of these views and these hikes that uh, I love so much. Nelson, the nice thing about coming uphill is that when you go back, it's downhill. Oh, my God. It's the best part. Did yeah. I get it? Get what? You know, getting it. Did I get it? Oh, I'd say so. Okay, good. Look at this view. Do you feel like you got it? I got it. He got it. Ryan got it. Nelson Holland of Aurora, a.k.a. Fat Black and Getting It on TikTok. And that's Colorado Matters, with thanks to a team that most definitely gets it. Carl Bielek, Anthony Cotton, Pete Kramer, Andrea Dukakis, Michelle Fulcher, Matt Hers, Michael Hughes, Carla Jimenez, Pedro Lumbrano, Patrice Mondragon, Shane Rumsey. Tyler Bender gets it too. He was our audio engineer on the trail. This is CPR News and KRCC.